Good day, everybody. Today we will learn about an important parable that Jesus ordered us to learn about, the parable of the fig tree. We'll learn why it's important to learn it, but more importantly, how it applies to our life today. So with that being said, we ask our Father to open eyes and open ears as we dive into his word and learn the parable of the fig tree. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Disciples' Haven. I'm Jose Garcia, and today we begin Season 5. First, I want to thank all of you who tune in and listen to the show, who share the show with your friends and family, who get encouraged to learn more about God's Word through their own research. But most importantly, thank God for allowing this to happen. I got a report not too long ago, and it showed that this show, The Disciples' Haven, has gotten over 1,500 downloads across three different continents. Not countries, continents. That's incredible. The parable of the fig tree. I think I'm going to be breaking this up into two different episodes. Uh, We'll just see how this episode develops. Mainly because I've learned two different versions of the parable of the fig tree. And although I personally tend to lean on the second way I learned what the parable of the fig tree meant, I do feel that this teaching of the parable of fig tree still holds some truth, but I want you, the audience, to learn both meanings of the parable of fig tree so you can come to your own conclusion by doing your own research. This first way in this episode is how I originally learned what the parable of the fig tree meant. Jesus Christ came here for one reason, to save as many souls as he can through teaching. And one way he taught was by teaching in parables. First, what is a parable? Well, a parable is, uh, the word parable comes from the Latin word uh, parabola, from Greek parabole, meaning comparison. It's a story that compares one thing to another, usually meant to teach a deeper lesson. A lot of times, people get confused with Jesus' parables because it involves a lot of symbolism, but fear not, because when you pray for wisdom and understanding, It will be given to you in his time. Now, why did Jesus teach in parables? Why teach in such a way that can be confusing? Well, the disciples asked Jesus that same question. And Jesus' response was that the truth is only meant for some, not all. So if you know the truth, if you find yourself yearning to learn more, consider yourself blessed. Now, if you can, Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 15. And Jesus Christ is giving us a warning. And it reads, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. What is Christ talking about? Jesus is telling us, Beware of teachers who appear and talk like Christians. In other words, they claim to be a man or woman of God, but all they do is be influenced by the traditions of the world. If they're teaching you traditions of men, then beware of them because they're dangerous. Traditions of men, such as the Easter Bunny, the Rapture, 
and all that garbage, those are dangerous teachings. That is what Christ is talking about. Verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? In other words, everyone knows you don't get grapes from a thorn bush and you don't get figs off of a thistle. So how does this apply to people? Well, think about it. If you have someone claiming to preach God's word and all they do is read one or two verses and give you an hour-long motivational speech, what fruit are they producing? You're eating off of a thorn bush or a thistle. In other words, you're not getting to the real fruit of God's word. You get grapes from the vine, and the vine is God's word. Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A corrupt tree are your preachers who are begging for your money, who have these mega churches and preach about helping one another, but when their congregation needs help, they hide in their million dollar mansions. They're your preachers who hit people with their jackets claiming that God is somehow knocking people out with the Holy Spirit. They're your Christians who think speaking in tongues means rambling a bunch of nonsense that no one can understand, sounding all possessed and everything. Don't follow corrupt trees, people. But those who teach God's word, who stick to his ways and commandments, they will produce good fruit. Verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. It's that simple. Does your pastor, preacher, priest teach God's word? Or are they teaching you traditions of men? Are you eating from the vine? Or are you eating from a thorn bush or thistle? I wanted to cover that real quick so all of you start paying attention to who you listen to, who you follow. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Beware of the traditions of men. So, if you can, open up the book of Mark, chapter 13, verse 28. In this part of Mark, Jesus was just asked to tell us what will the end of the world be, and how will we know when you're coming back? So Jesus explained to them what to look for and what will befall on mankind in the last days uh, with earthquakes, wars, um, but also of the Antichrist proclaiming peace. In verse 28, Jesus tells them, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. In verse 28, how did Jesus begin? He said, learn a parable of the fig tree. He didn't say when you get around to it or if you can, he said, learn it. A direct order from your father. It would behoove you to follow his orders. Now, Jesus said, when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, we know that summer is near. Well, what's the deal with summer? Summer is when the farmers harvest. In the book of Revelation, there are four angels on the four corners of the earth ready to harvest the good and bad people. So in other words, Jesus is saying, when you see these things that I just told you about, about the end of the world, when you see them come to pass, know that the end is near. An important note to make, Anytime Jesus, God, use an insect, a fruit, a tree, any kind of symbol, 
you look at its entire life and the science behind it. It gives you an idea of the in-depth thought of God's mind that he's trying to teach you. In other words, there is always a deeper meaning, a deeper lesson behind what Jesus is teaching, always. So why the fig tree? Well, let's learn about the fig tree. In the world, there are over 700 different types of fig trees. Almost all of them fall within four different types of categories. Many fig trees produce fruit that can be eaten. Other species of figs either don't produce edible fruit or have a very specific pollination requirement, such as needing to be pollinated by a certain type of wasp. A popular and easy way to produce a fig tree isn't by planting seeds, because you can't, but you can do it through fig cuttings or shoots. Late in the dormant season, after the danger of frost is passed, you can take fig cuttings from the small branches that are two to three years old. The bottom end should be cut flat and the tip cut on a slant. It's best to use about six to eight shoots to allow room for some failures. Now, why did I just tell you all that? Well, that shoot is symbolic of the nation that would be planted that has both good and bad figs that would be the beginning of the final generation. The good figs are female. They produce the fruit. The male fig does not produce edible fruit. Now, I mentioned that a wasp is required in certain fig trees for pollination. Let's learn about that real quick. Inside the rounded fruit of a fig, there's a maze of flowers. That is, a, uh, a fig is not actually a fruit. It's an inflorescence. A cluster of many flowers and seeds contained inside a bulbous stem. Because of the unusual arrangement, the seeds technically are the ovaries of the fig, require a specialized pollinator that is adapted to navigate within these confined quarters. Here begins the story of the relationship between figs and the fig wasps. The queen of the fig wasp is almost the perfect size for the job, except despite her tiny body, she oftentimes will lose her wings and her antennas as she enters through a tight opening in the fig. Once inside, the queen travels within the chamber, depositing her eggs and simultaneously shedding the pollen she carried with her from another fig. This last task, while it's not the queen's primary goal, it's an important one, she is fertilizing the fig's ovaries. After the queen has laid her eggs, she dies and is, is uh, digested by the fig, providing nourishment. Once the queen's eggs hatch, male and female wasps assume very different roles. The first, mate with each other. Yep, brothers and sisters. And then the females collect pollen in some species, actively gathering it in a specialized pouch and in others accumulating it inadvertently, while the wingless males begin carving a path to the fig's exterior. This activity is not for their own escape, but rather to create an opening for the females to exit. The females will pollinate another fig as queens. The males will basically span their entire life cycle within a single fruit. So how is that applied to what we learned with what Christ told us? Well, think about it. Naturally, the good fruit or good figs are those who practice God's word, those who teach God's word. Then you have the bad figs, the bad fruit, and they tend to stick to the traditions of men and never really teach God's word. They pollinate more and more figs, causing more and more bad fruit. Now, let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, verse 1, which this part can be considered the 
heart of the parable of the fig tree. Now, to give you a little backstory, the house of Israel has been taken captive prior to Jeremiah chapter 24, at least 200 years prior. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's captivity lasted 70 years. After those 70 years, those that returned back to their homeland were only about half of the children of the tribe of Judah. There's 12 tribes. The others that returned with them were known as Nethanims. Nethanim is a Hebrew word that means uh, Nathan is to service or given to service. In other words, these people were adopted, I guess you could say, mostly by the preachers because preachers dedicated certain people to do temple work. Basically, the preachers got lazy. So they hired these nomadic people to do their work for them within the temple these Nethanims. It got so bad that it's written in the book of Ezra how there wasn't one actual Levitical priest. They were all Nethanims. They infiltrated and began taking over. And that is why you have to be careful even to this day. Think about it. Has your church been infiltrated by some Nethanims? Test their fruit. Now, the book of Jeremiah chapter 24 verse 1 it reads with Jeremiah saying, The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princess of Judah, and the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them, and not pull them down, and I will plant them, and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. So let's dissect what God just told us. He's referencing the tribe of Judah, saying that he sent them out into bondage to the land of the Chaldeans, which is to say Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. But he then says that he will then bring them back to their land and not pull them down ever again. He will plant them and not pluck them up. So has this already happened? Well, as I stated before, when Nebuchadnezzar's 70-year captivity was over, not even half returned back. They were all Nethanims. This, this event that God is talking about didn't happen until the 20th century, in the year of our Lord, 1948. What happened in 1948? Well, shortly after World War II in 1948, Israel became a nation. In other words, Judah set up their kingdom and it hasn't been plucked up. Unfortunately, within that nation, we see both good and bad figs. Who are the bad figs? The Kenites, the sons of Cain. So you have both baskets on the return. They've infiltrated almost every branch within that government, just like the Nethanims did in the temple of God because the people allowed it. And not just that government, ours 
and many other nations as well. Jesus told us in the book of Revelation how he was pleased with two churches, the church of Philadelphia and the church of Smyrna. And he told the church of Smyrna how they are blessed for their knowledge to know those who claim to be from our brother Judah, but are in fact of the synagogue of Satan. We have both good and bad figs, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll be doing a special study on this topic so you too can be aware as far as who are Kenites and who aren't. Verse 8. And as the evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, So will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a problem, a taunt and a curse, in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and their fathers. Now what did God mean in verse 8 when he said, the residue of Jerusalem? It doesn't mean Judah. It means as what we call today a resident of Jerusalem. All of you are residents of your states or nation, wherever you're listening from. That makes you a residue of that location. So we're talking about those who claim to be of Judah, but are only a residue of Judah or Jerusalem or the land of Judah, because they lie and are in fact of the synagogue of Satan. In the New Testament, the Greek word for Jew is pronounced Eudaos, and it means of the tribe of Judah or a resident of the land of Judea, which is the nation of Judah. For example, I live in California, unfortunately, so I'm a Californian. I have family in Texas. They are called Texan. But that has nothing to do with your tribe or your heritage. It's an identifier by geographical location. This has caused so much confusion amongst the masses of people as far as who the real tribe of Judah people are. But all this will be covered as we study deeper in God's Word. In 70 AD, all were dispersed from Jerusalem, all members of Judah by Emperor Titus of the Roman Empire. It wasn't until 1948 that some of the tribe of Judah returned to that same land and have created a shoot for a fig tree. And it's grown for many years now, 75 years to be exact. It's been putting forth leaves, but it hasn't been putting out fruit. But what did Christ say when he talked about the parable of the fig tree? When you see the fig tree, when you see it shoot it forth leaves, know that this generation shall not pass away until all things be fulfilled. That generation began in 1948. So you see why it's important to learn the parable of the fig tree? Because that parable, according to this method of learning it, began in 1948. And that generation, I'm sorry to say, they're up there in age. They got a lot of gray going on now. It gives you a time frame of where we are in God's timeline. And we are close to the end, ladies and gentlemen. The world average of life expectancy is 69 years old for men and about 75 years old for women. And what did Jesus say? That the end of the world will happen before that generation. Which generation was that? The generation of the fig tree. That generation will not pass until all things be fulfilled. Look around you. Look how much has changed in 10 years. Shoot, look how much has changed in just four years. Every year that goes by, it seems this world is getting darker and worse 
and worse. As I stated before, this was the first way I learned the parable of the fig tree. If some of this went over your head, that's fine. Go back, study it some more. Ask God for wisdom and understanding. If it gets to be too much, put it away for a bit and then come back to it. Tune in for the next episode where we will discuss part two of the parable of the fig tree and we'll learn what I tend to lean on more as far as the meaning behind it. Again, this first version I learned, I still believe there is a lot of truth in it, so perhaps there's a mixture of truth in both versions. But that's why I'm teaching both, so you, the disciple, the Bereen, can go back and research it yourself. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure not to miss part two that will be coming out pretty soon. Go in peace. <laughs>